Jessica said every, you know, everything at the awakening started with a fire and that made me think about when we had uh, moved back here, August 2009. And uh, Jessica's dad and my dad had gotten a couple bobcats and that property that we live on, if y'all have ever been to our house, it had a bunch of Catawba worm trees. Anybody know what those are? Um, good for fishing, not real pretty. Um, kind of scrubby, a bunch of other just, it was overgrown property. But they had, they had built this, basically, I mean, a pile of wood and shrub. They cut down trees that was, I would say, like the size of two full-size pickup trucks. And, I, you know, I tried to, like, light it conventional ways, you know, lighter fluid, and it would not take. And so I asked Jessica's dad, who's... Uh, not a stranger to danger. And so he, he said, he's like, I just, I fill up your sprayer with uh, gasoline and diesel. And he said, that gas will catch fast and then the diesel will burn long. And I was like, oh, all right. And, and so I'm pumping the gas and diesel on that thing. And um, it took and lit and the, and the fire literally was almost as high as the ceiling. And I, I stood before Jessica, there's still a picture. I was standing before the fire, I had a goatee at the time. And one of my friends saw the picture, he said, dude, it looks like you just snuffed out Bin Laden. And, uh, <laughs> well, we got the local fire department called on us. And thankfully as a guy, just good old, you know, as a country boy, he's like, uh, did y'all call this one in? I was like, uh, no, sir, I just thought it was, you know, if it's on your property, you know, he's like, no, you got this size, you got to call it in, you know, and um, he said, y'all just put it out right now, and uh, he said, I, he said, I don't, it doesn't bother me, but your neighbor's called, and, um, but y'all got to put it out, and then call it in, and y'all can burn it again, you know, and so, got the law called on us, and uh, that's how the awakening started, so, um, <laughs> if we can uh, bring my sermon up there. So I want to talk about God and politics, and I want to talk about our corporateness. Now, nobody run out of the room. All right, we're talking about politics. God's involved in all facets of, uh, of life, and so he's obviously involved in government and things, world issues and, and things of that nature. But I just want to approach it from a, uh, a biblical perspective, and I want to focus on our corporateness and what that means. Okay, what, it, what does it mean to be corporate as the church? What does it mean to be corporate as a nation or a city, a family, that type of thing? Well, I want to start off with this, this scripture. It says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So with this in mind, knowing that all the kingdoms of the earth shall become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, and he shall reign forever and ever. This morning during prayer time, you know, the, one of the last words of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's praying that. <laughs> the church is praying that. And, the, and also in Revelation, it talks about the martyrs crying out to the, to the Lord saying, how long, O Lord, <laughs> before our blood 
is justified before you, you know, because their blood was spilled on behalf of, of Jesus because of their love of Jesus. And I know in my heart, there's this longing. I was like, I, I, I long for a righteous king in all the nations that where everybody, you know, Jesus actually has the answer for justice and righteousness for all. That it's not going to exclude anybody. Jesus has the answer. But you will be disappointed in men. You will be disappointed in men. Whether you're on the left, right, no matter what kind of philosophy, government you, you hold to, you will be disappointed. But Jesus is the one who, who will not disappoint. So that's why our hope is in him. And government ultimately is not going to solve the world's problems because it's a sin issue. The world is racked with sin. You're here because you realize I have sin. I need a savior to save me from my sin. So that's, that's the root issue. And also, so this is, I'm gonna be talking about this this week and also next week, but this is kind of the core of scripture in Joshua chapter five. Now Joshua, as they just crossed the Jordan and they're about to take on Jericho, which was the, the large, a large fortified city that was right over the Jordan River. Now they're crossing over the Jordan to the promised land. And then God does something unusual once they crossed over into the promised land. He says, circumcise all the fighting men, which takes eight days to heal. And as Graham Cook says, you have all your fighting men walking around like John Wayne for eight days. You know, they're doing this number. Right? And so it's an unusual ba- battle tactic from the Lord. Circumcise all the men. And so while the, the men are healing up and the armies in the land are like, hey, this huge army just crossed over the Jordan. Looks like they're not friendly. It doesn't make sense. But God's just so confident in who he is. <laughs> he's more concerned about your heart so that you can actually inhabit it. The Lord's like, I'll defeat your enemies, but can you inhabit the land? Can you keep the land? <laughs> That's why he had to, work, had to work on their hearts. But So this is during that time, Joshua was by Jericho and he lifted up his eyes and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And this man was called, in some translations, he's called the captain of the Lord of hosts. Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, now if you notice this, there's, some, when, there's times in the Bible when men would try to worship angels and the angel said, do not worship me. I'm a servant just like you. This angel did not refuse the worship because it's the angel of the Lord. Now, tip, in the Old Testament, it's believed that the angel of the Lord represents Jesus all right, so this angel didn't refuse the worship. You, you need to take note of that. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
And that's the last we hear of this, the Lord, captain of the Lord's army. In this instance. So what's the point? The point isn't, uh, is God on the right or the left? Is Are we on God's side? Are you with him? <laughs> it's not if he's with you. It's just like the other, the other week I said, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't tell Andrew and Peter. He said, hey, I'm going to get in the boat and be your life coach. Nothing against life coaching. I'm just saying, Jesus is saying, follow me. This is, are you on my side? You're going where I'm going. And so this is essentially what is happening right here. He, he says, no, are you for us or for enemies? No. And he says, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. So the issue is, are we on the side of holiness and righteousness? Are we on the Lord's side? That's the issue, all right? So corporate, what does it mean to be corporate? A large group or a unified body of individuals, okay? So the awakening, we're corporate. Athens, we're corporate. Not necessarily unified, but we're a part, uh, even in Revelation that talks about cities standing before God, not just individually. I don't necessarily understand how that's going to work out, but it talks about that. You have uh, nations that are corporate, okay? So corporateness, we're connected especially in the body of Christ and affected by others' actions and decisions. So when you come in to worship this morning and you, you're connecting with the Lord throughout the week and you're, you're practicing uh, just walking with the Lord, being in communion with him, you bring that relationship in with you. And because you're bringing Jesus with you, guess what? I'm going to be blessed because of what you're bringing with you. <laughs> but if we're not cultivating that relationship, then we're not going to be as blessed. And so it's just you bring in your worship. You bring in your personal worship that contributes to the corporate worship. So everything you do, even outside of these, these meetings, affects our, our church body. Obviously, what I do affects you. Am I right? What our leaders do affects us. So this works on a local, state, and national level. Now, America is uh, largely individualistic. Our actions, we, we tend to think our actions only affect us and that they're, they're close to us. America was, a lot of its uh, pioneering was founded on rugged individualism, like kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, figure it out, make it work, that kind of thing. And it's not necessarily a healthy attitude. So every corporate body has a head, whether it's a single leader or a group of leaders. So Ephesians 1.22 talks about Jesus as the head and it says he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. So we have a head. Jesus is the head of the church. And also during prayer this morning, John had this, this picture of a, a rabbit that was really big, you know, in the, forgive me if I'm uh, murdering your vision here, but... Um, but the body looked like a mountain, and John just saw that uh, the head of the, the rabbit was cut off and the, the body's lifeless. So anytime you cut off the head, the rest of the body 
is lifeless. Jesus is the head. If we leave Jesus out of church, we're without life. The body without the spirit is dead. So we've got to have the Holy Spirit. So rather, verse 15 of Ephesians 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, into Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, is himself its savior. Now, I've talked about husband-wife relationship before, that the, the husband is the head and has a th- authority in, in the house, but how did Jesus come to serve his, his bride? He came to lay down his life for his bride. And so a lot of people have misinterpreted this over the years as uh, the husband or uh, you know, just gets to boss the family around and it doesn't really work that way. But that's not the point today. This is a different sermon. That's a different sermon. So blessing comes from the head, authority. So part of understanding corporateness is you got to understand how authority works. That's why, that's why there is all this uh, strife over politics in America. That's why there's strife in the nations. It's not just America. People are constantly doing whatever it takes to be in power in every nation. You go, I mean, you go into, I mean, almost every nation is afflicted by it in some way or shape or form. But blessing comes from the head. Blessing comes, we're blessed because of Jesus Christ, right? All blessed, you've been seated in Christ in the heavenly places. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So blessing comes from the head, that's Ephesians 1.3. Psalm 133 says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So here's the picture of oil being poured over the head. It starts with the head, and then it goes down over the robes, over the collars, and it falls all the way down to the rest of the body. So blessing flows from the head down to the rest of the body. Now, curses can come from the head, okay? Curses can come from the head. So look at Adam and Eve. For their rebellion against God, Adam... The, one of the curses that, that God spoke to Adam were the ground is going to be cursed. It will require much toil and sweat. Thorns and thistles will grow in your garden. And then to Eve, he said, you'll have pain during pregnancy and in childbirth. And this is almost comical one to me, although <laughs> he says your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And so it's like there's going to be Strife in the marriage at times. But when you have Jesus Christ, he can bring peace. And so, now, were you in the garden with Adam and Eve when they rebelled? Of course not. But guess what? You were affected by them because they were the first. And you're corporate. You're part of mankind. So do you see how others act? You are more corporate than, you, than we realize. We are more corporate than we realize. So examples of authority affecting a corporate body. So in Genesis 20, 
This is a, about Abraham and Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was a Philistine king of the city of uh, Gerar. And Abraham, they come into Gerar, and Abraham tells Sarah, he's like, lie to him. Tell him, he, you're my sister, which was actually a half lie because Sarah was his half-sister. Tell him you're my sister and not my wife because if he thinks you're my wife, he's going to take you from me. All right? So Sarah tells Abimelech that she's Abraham's sister. Didn't matter to Abimelech. He's, he takes in Sarah. He's about to have relations with her. And before he does that, God speaks to him and says, if you go any further, you're going to die because Abraham's my man. And he's like, I thought this was, a, this is Abraham's wife. And, and Abimelech says, I thought this was his sister. And he says, no, this is his wife. Abimelech, uh, God tells Abimelech, says, let Abraham pray for you. Because what happened as a result of even almost having relations with Sarah was the wombs. I don't know exactly how long this time period was where they're in Gerar, but it says the wombs of all of Abimelech's family were closed. All right, all the women, all their wombs were, were closed. And when Abraham prayed for Abimelech, the wombs were open. Now Abimelech, his decision, who did it affect? All the women under his authority, okay? So that's example one. David took a census of the fighting men, 1 Chronicles 21. Exodus, it says, if you ever take us in Exodus, uh, or maybe it may be 21. I may be getting it wrong, but anyways, I know it's in the it's in the, the Pentateuch where it says, if you take a census of your fighting men, every fighting man has to give a half shekel as an offering to the Lord. Part of the part of the reason uh, a, a plague broke out is because they didn't take up a shekel from all these fighting men. Another reason was God looks at the heart. David was taking pride in his army. You know, David did a really good job in the Psalms a lot of times. Like, God, my strength is from you. Only by you can I leap over a wall. Only by you can I run through a troop. By your, by your hand, I can bend a bow of bronze. But he's, he had a slip up. Raise your hand if you've had a slip up before. <laughs> and he started thinking, Wow, I've got an amazing army, and I'm the leader. I mean, I defeated Goliath. I've had, and I survived 15 years in the wilderness when Saul was trying to kill me. I've defeated every enemy I've ever come against. Man, I must be doing something right. You know, and so he, t he told, uh, I think it was Jehu at the time, maybe, or it doesn't matter, but he told one of his guys, take a census. And his right-hand man is like, King, please don't do this. This is not a good idea. And he's like, take the census. So they took the census. And it says in chapter 1, it says, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. What does Satan give away? Pride. That's what he likes to give away. You can only give what you have, right? So he likes to give away pride. <laughs> And so God, so what happened was God confronted David. He says, you've sinned. 
This is uh, an abomination in my sight, what you've done. And he gave David three options. He said, you can have three years of famine, three months of being devastated by your foes, or three days of the sword of the Lord. David said, let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Even then, I was like, that was a good decision from, from David. Even he knew, doesn't that, even in that moment, David understood God's nature for mercy, right? He's like, I know you're more merciful than man. So as a result, a plague hit 70,000 of those fighting men. Now he had around 15, uh, around a million, 500,000 fighting men. So this was 70,000 of those fighting men. David said to God, it is I who have sinned and done great evil, but, the, but these sheep, what have they done? So God relents and shows mercy, and the angel of the Lord puts his sword back in his sheath. The Lord has mercy. And so there again, David, his decision affected all of the fighting men under his authority, right? He's the head. The consequences not only flow to him, but also to the fighting men. And, he, and David understands that. Daniel, he repents on behalf of his pe people in Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel was born in captivity. He actually wasn't a part of Israel's rebellion that sent, that, that sent Babylon, that, that caused God to send Babylon and Assyria to take them captive and out of the, their land in Israel. Daniel wasn't a part of that. But here he is, he's owning it like, it, like he was a part of it. He was born in captivity. He's never committed the sins. And Daniel identifies with the sin of his people and asks God for mercy. God responds to Daniel and says, in 70 years, I'm going to bring Israel back to their homeland. And he's, Daniel's praying prayers like, I may have those scriptures up. Yeah, so he says, this is Daniel chapter 9. He says, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, you could say to our senators, to our congressmen, to our president, to our mayor, whoever, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. So notice back up at 8, he says, to us, O Lord, We've rebelled. We've transgressed. Even though Daniel was a righteous man, did not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar, but he understood his corporateness. He's connected to his forefathers. Okay? I want to talk about a Brazil trip example of how uh, leaders affect those in authority under them. It was a great trip back in 2007. 
We were going to uh, Rio de Janeiro and uh, another city in north central Brazil. People getting healed everywhere. Just, uh, I prayed for a woman who had a, a lump of cancer in her, in her body and the lump disappeared while praying for her. We had, I prayed for another girl. Her eyes were crossed. The Lord straightened her eyes out right before me. And so part of the reason we, everybody on that team was operating that is because the leader of that group, who was uh, Randy Clark, was operates in that. So guess what? I'm under Randy Clark, so I'm getting to operate in some of the, the gifting and anointing that he's, he's operating in. Now, there is another guy on that trip who was uh, not Randy Clark, but another guy that kind of led like a, a smaller group of us. And so during that trip, there were people that were, um, they said, man, I'm ha I keep having thoughts of adultery. <laughs> and they're wise enough to like confess them and, we, and just praying against it. And it's part of it was like, is this being in Rio? You know, because like Rio is a, very, was, is a very sexually oriented city. They have uh, this thing called Carnival, which uh, they, they worship this local regional god named Makumba. And I'm telling you, I, I, a little sidetrack, sometimes when people wouldn't get healed, and I said, are you a Christian? They said, yeah. I said, do you still worship Makumba? I said, yes. He says, you can't do that. <laughs> you have one Lord and one God. Will you repent for worshiping Makumba? And they, would, and they would repent, and God would heal them. The Lord uh, is merciful. I mean, that's all, that's all I can say. And so, so we had people complaining about feeling like they were, man, I feel like there's like, I keep having thoughts of adultery. So we, we're praying against that. Nothing bad happened, but people, were, like I said, people were wise enough to confess that to their roommates and stuff like that. And then we come to find out maybe six months later that the guy that was leading our small group was in adultery. And so he had laid hands on all of us and prayed for us before we got there. And so even though we had been, we were coming under the influence of a spirit that he was operating in. And he, was, he had been in this relationship for, for years, this adulterous relationship. And so he's laying hands on us. And you, there's a thing kind of getting, we, we call it defilement. It's like getting slimed. If somebody just is like, hey, man, I, you know, I throw a tomato at Luke and it hits him. And he's just like, what I, why'd you throw a tomato at me? You know, and, but it got on his clothes. He's got to wash his clothes. And so this is kind of what's happening in the spirit is uh, this guy, you know, laying hands on people. And he's just kind of smearing them with this thing that he's operating in. And you just, all you got to do is ask the Lord to cleanse you. It's real easy. He'll cleanse you. But you had to, but that's part of what you, I'm telling you, it's, you've got to understand the spirit realm. You've got to understand how authority works. You've got to understand corporateness. We've got to understand this. And that your decisions, our decisions, affect generations. This is not about us right now, the adults in the room. This is about Generations after generations after generations. Was Ab did Abraham see millions of people through his bloodline like God promised him? 
No. But, that, but his children and his children's children have seen that. <laughs> and so there's times where God actually may have given you a prophetic word that your child is going to walk in. God is, you know, he's eternal, so he's, he's not constricted to like these 80 years plus that we, we think we have. But he thinks, and because he thinks corporately, he thinks when it's, if uh, God called you to be a world-changing evangelist and you were just faithful and sowing seeds locally and then your child becomes an evangelist that affects the nations, guess what? When you face Jesus in heaven, he's going to reward you for being faithful with that word. He's going to say, you were faithful with the word. You sowed the seed so your, so your children could walk in that. And you will receive the reward for being faithful to that word, even though you may have never seen it on this earth. And so there's this, such a thing as a corporate stronghold. All right. How many of y'all have heard of that before, a corporate stronghold? A corporate stronghold is a practiced, habitual way of thinking which we share with the common mentality of mankind or a group. So a type of tradition or philosophy actively controlling groups, masses, nations. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Effects of corporate strongholds. It robs us of rationality and our ability to contradict it. It robs us of free will. It controls us. It creates tunnel vision. It blocks the word of God. It takes the mind and eventually the soul captive. It can eventually destroy the conscious. So a good example of this is, uh, you know, World War II uh, Germany. And so you have a, uh, a philosophy and a propaganda behind that philosophy that starts infiltrating the minds, and it's hitting a weak spot in the people because they, Germany was not in good shape. <laughs> and so along comes a promise of, being lifted up out of their toil and their torment. And, but unbeknownst to them, you know, there's a, obviously Hitler had another agenda behind that and things got worse for people on the ground, on the ground level. But people were still wholeheartedly sold out for it, except for those, a lot of the Christians like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other German Christians who were grounded in the word of God. And like, what this guy's up to is no good. And they were persecuted. But what happened? How did Germany suddenly just get swept up? Like, we're, gonna, we're following Hitler and it blindly is because it's a corporate stronghold. It's a corporate stronghold. Okay? And you have to, and so there's... Ephesians talks in Ephesians 6, it talks about principalities. So a prince, so a palate means like a city or a region. And you talk, you have a municipality, it means a city or region is ruled by multiple leaders. You have a principality means a city or region is ruled by 
one leader. So you have principalities in, in cities, regions, nations. And the Bible says that there's principalities of darkness that can influence the way you think, the way I think, if we're not grounded in the word of God. And so this is, the Bible talks about, um, you know, sheep without a shepherd and they, you know, we're coming, come over here. All right, we'll, we'll come over here. No, this way. Yes, yes, yes. But you have a good shepherd. You have a good shepherd. I, me as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a shepherd looking to Jesus. I'm not, he is the good shepherd. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a helper. <laughs> he's telling me, hey, go over there, tend this flock. And I'm just going over there because he's telling me to. And I tell Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, it's okay, I do. But the effects of this corporate, the stronghold is it can eventually wear down the conscious. And the Bible talks about a conscious that's seared, that you can't feel anything. Oh, man, my thingy didn't work. All right. So this is, these are harvest fields. I was going to have this exciting uh, animation come in with the harvest fields. So examples of corporate strongholds, racism. You have a, a body of people that are thinking less than of what God thinks of another group of people based on ethnicity, skin color. You have addiction. There is a, 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 a tribe up in eastern Canada and they... Uh, excuse me, it's, it wasn't, a, it was an Inuit village. It wasn't necessarily this whole tribe, but there was an Inuit village up in eastern Canada. And they, a lot of the youth had started, um, they had gotten into hardcore drugs, they had gotten into death metal. I don't know how, <laughs> that's what I call it, you know, death metal was just, it's really dark. I mean, you have some, then, then you have Christian death metal, which is like, it's... <laughs> which is an oxymoron, but, you know, it's like, rah, 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 and they're, but they're talking about Jesus. And so, but anyways, this was dark death metal. They were listening to that. They had, uh, and youth were committing suicide. It was just like, it was like a chain. And it seemed like they were powerless to addiction. They were powerless to the suicide. And the parents got together. And this is, you can find this on the transformations. You go on YouTube, find this, it's the transformations videos. And they have a bad audio recording of them worshiping in this little church in this Inuit village. Everybody's singing off key. It's not, and, the, and it's real, you know, scratchy. And it's and like, Jesus. And, but they're crying out to God. And all of a sudden you hear, sounds like a hurricane is coming through the church. And you start hearing people do, The fear of the Lord came in. And Holy Spirit moved on that village and, you, and sovereignly, youth, they came out to the, the 10 uh, trash drums and they started putting all their death metal in the, 
in the, in the trash cans and burning them. They were throwing all their drugs in the trash cans and burning them. They, had, they lived off of their fishing industry and their caribou industry. And before that, all the wildlife had vanished. So they were destitute. When the, when the revival came out, the, the caribou started coming back. The fish were back in the water. They have no idea why. But you remember 2 Chronicles 7, 14, where it says, when you humble yourself and you pray, God will come and he'll heal what? The land. He will heal the land. It's not just a spiritual awakening. God heals everything. So he will heal the land. You have extremist rights movements like abortion or pro-choice. And I personally believe that abortion is a gateway for all other injustice in the nation. Because abortion is against innocent life. You're killing innocent life that has no choice. It's a victim. And I think a lot of the other injustice that's happening to innocent lives is coming through the gateway of abortion. Because you have an open door, the demonic opens through, works through open doors. That's why it's a big deal. That's why it's a big deal. That's why there's a huge fight over it. And you have to, and I honestly believe that things that, like we're innocent, Black lives are taken by a cop that's overzealous. It could be, some of those things could be stopped in the spirit because abortion is no longer allowed in the land. That's my personal belief because it's an injustice and it opens up a spirit of injustice over the nation. And so, and I also want to, Talk about where you know where you have a law enforcement. We obviously need law enforcement. They actually protect us when we protest them, <laughs> right? But you're always going to have your outliers in every aspect of life. Every, you have your outliers in government. You have your outliers in law enforcement. You have your outliers in the church. So you're going to have you're going to have to deal with sin. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with sin. Homosexuality, lesbianism, there's nothing wrong with struggling with that because everybody has their own their struggles. It's just like addiction, right? It's just something that can influence you corporately. And so we want to be a safe place for people who are struggling with addiction. We want to be a safe place for people who have had abortions. We want to be a safe place for people who are struggling with homosexuality, lesbianism. We want, because we know that Jesus is the answer for healing. Postmodern New Age philosophy, universalism, which basically means there's no absolute truth. If there's no absolute truth, then I can say I get to kill you. That's my truth. If I'm just going to really simplify it, there has to be truth. And then there's self-righteousness can be a stronghold. 
Now, do you remember, and then political identity, what are the, the two main entities that put Jesus on the cross? The religious spirit and the political spirit. You had Pontius Pilate who executed it and the religious spirit, the religious leaders who offered him up to Pontius Pilate. So political identity, your political identification can be an idol. It can be a stronghold. It can keep you from following Jesus. We have one Lord and one King. So our action points, and I want us to stand up for this. So we, you personally, this may not be your issue, but because you're part of a larger body of, of Christ, it may be your issue, I don't know, but you are part of the body of Christ. We are. And so as a church, we're gonna do a Daniel 9. <laughs> we're gonna repent on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of the church. Okay, but it's because repentance is what brings the kingdom of heaven. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so I want us to repent for as the church for having more allegiance to our political parties than the voice of the Holy Spirit. John, if you'll come on up here, and I want us to break off into groups, and we're going to pray. So just like groups of four, groups of three, and we're going to pray over this right now. So go ahead and break up. Just ask the, and just start, say, Lord, forgive us as a church for more allegiance to our political parties than to the Holy Spirit. Father, we repent for having allegiance and our identity wrapped up in politics instead of in Christ. Forgive us, Lord. Now in your groups, just repent for, for self-righteousness, any self-righteousness that the body of Christ on behalf of the church, for not being willing to get in to the fight, the fight for lives.